0: Welcome to the Sunny Hill podcast. This message was recorded at our Ferndown campus. For more information about service times and locations, please visit sunnyhill.church. We're going through a series at the moment uh, in church on encounters, on encounters with Jesus, about how you can meet Jesus and it changes your life. Or how Jesus met you and it changes someone's life. And we've been going through it, And Adam spoke last week on Jesus, the bringer of grace and truth. Which is really exciting because I realised about three minutes ago that I'm going to speak on exactly the same thing in just a slightly different way. So if you've got your Bibles with you, isn't it weird? People of a certain age, that's me, still have this thought that in your head you bring your Bible to church with you. But we don't, we have these Bibles sort of like all around us now and it's around, there on our iPads. So you turn your Bible on, you don't open your Bible. That still still feels weird to me anyway. But if you've got a Bible in some form with you today, turn with me to uh, Mark chapter 8. And this is the single most exciting bit of the Bible for me today. Okay, because this is the... Biggest miracle that I found in the Bible so far today. So, Mark chapter 8, verse 1. And it's G. Have we got it on the slides? Nope. That's it. Jesus feeding the 4,000. So, from verse 1 during these days, another large crowd gathered since they had nothing to eat. Oh, sorry. During those grammar during those days another large crowd gathered full stop since they had nothing to eat jesus called his disciples to him and said i have compassion for these people they've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat if i send them home hungry they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance his disciples answered but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them how many loaves do you have jesus asked Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit in the ground. on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. And afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we pray this morning that as we have already eaten physically, that Lord, we will be able to feed spiritually, that we'll be able to learn from you, and that you'll give us the things that we need today to take us through the rest of the day, this next week, this month, and for the rest of our lives. Speak to us, we pray. Use these words, Lord, for the extension of your kingdom. Okay, so we've been looking at Mark chapter 8, which is Jesus feeding the 4,000. Now, why do I think that feeding the 4,000 is the biggest miracle in the Bible? Because actually, Jesus feeds 5,000 somewhere else, doesn't he? Yeah, with five loaves and two fishes. He has seven loaves and the seven loaves uh, and some fishes as well. So, The question is, why do I think this? Why is this so critical in the Bible? And why is it so critical to me? That's the next slide. Okay, now in looking at this, what we need to know is that, uh, first of all, this didn't happen in Israel. This happened outside of Israel. It happened in a Gentile country. It didn't happen with Jews. It happened with Gentiles, and that actually is quite critical. Because if you look at the difference between Jesus feeding the 5,000, which is where Jesus fed the Jews, to Jesus feeding the 4,000, which is where he feeds the Gentiles, there's some big, big things that are in there that are hidden in the minutiae, in the bits and pieces of the Bible. First of all, when Jesus fed the Jews in Luke with the feeding of the 5,000, he had how many loaves? Five. And how many fish? Very good. Yeah, very good. Uh, Which is really weird, because when you look at the numbers, because in in, uh, the Hebrew tradition, every number has a meaning. The number for five is grace. The number for two... It's the number they use for witnesses when, when you required a legal witness in the Bible. And so the number of two is truth. Isn't that amazing? God is feeding symbolically grace and truth in the form of bread. And you may not think there's enough to go around, but in God's hands, there's tons and there's loads left over as well and as i was just sitting there this morning i was just thinking about what adam was talking about last week that when god comes he brings grace and truth and we may not think that we have enough of that we may not think that we have enough of god's grace or that god's grace can't come to me but we take what we have and we give it to god and god turns it around and he blesses us socks off it's awesome It's amazing, the God who gives, who feeds us grace and truth. Except this was a miracle that happened to the Jews. Oh, so the Gentiles, the people who aren't Jewish, are excluded. But no, because now we've got Mark chapter 8. In Mark chapter 8, we find out that Jesus is talking to the Gentiles. And how many loaves are there? Seven. Seven <clears throat> has two meanings here. Number one, seven in Hebrew is the number for completeness. It's the number for totality. Seven is also signifying there were seven known Gentile tribes at the time. So it's symbolic of all the Gentiles that were known. Completeness. In fact, it was symbolising the rest of the world is brought to Jesus. Wow. Wow and we may think that Jesus isn't big enough to deal with the rest of the world but what does Jesus do he turns it round abundantly pressed down shaken together running over and god's blessing for the gentiles is just as great as god's blessing for the jews when the feeding of the 5000 happened in the old test it's a picture of the old testament because how many baskets were left over 12 because 12 is significant of the 12 tribes of israel Jesus' grace and Jesus' truth is enough for all of the, uh, all of the people of Israel. When the feeding of the 4,000 happens, how many baskets were there? Seven because that's the sum of totality. Everything else, everything that remains, everything that is brought to God, he can turn around, turn into a blessing. Everything that comes to him, he can use for his glory, and he will use you, and he wants to bless you, because God is not a God who withholds his blessing, he's a God who wants to pour out his blessing on you today. And I'm going to tell you in a little while about the blessing that God gave to me, and it blew my mind. But, that's not what I want to talk about today. I just got excited, I'm sorry. <laughs> what I want to talk about is what led up to this bit. What led up to, to Mark chapter 8. Because you see, this wasn't Jesus' first time in this place. He'd been here before. In fact, it was a while ago, but he'd been here before. And if we go back to Mark chapter 4 in your Bibles, this was two years previously. And in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is having a picnic. Do you know Jesus loves picnics? Everywhere he went, he took food. Everywhere he went, he sat down. One of his first appearances after his resurrection, he sat down and just had a bit of fish with the lads, just chatting, just teaching. He's a God who has fellowship, who wants to be with us and spend time just being with us, which is why it's so great to have the the bacon sarnies and the coffee this morning. But here, Jesus, it's all going well. It's going well. So in Mark 4, we read that Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it on the lake. Whilst all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, Listen, listen and then he goes on for like a chapter and a half or so and i'm not going to do that because we haven't got enough time to do that but this is all the core this is uh jesus's what's called third parabolic discourse where he's teaching the, about the kingdom of god about himself in signs in pictures in images rather than saying things directly and there's a reason for that because he'd just been rejected by the leaders of israel as for being the messiah he presented his credentials, and they, they'd accused him of speaking as, as if he was Satan. And this was when Israel rejected Jesus. And so Jesus, rather than cause offence because he's a gracious God then spoke in parables that were brilliant stories for those that could not hear the truth in them and then when those that wanted to hear the truth looked into it he revealed the truth to the disciples in the evening so the disciples were so happy because they knew that Jesus's mission was just going so well it was really good he'd recruited his disciples everything was lined up he got huge crowds following him and all of a sudden, this Jesus thing that they sort of like moored their boat to, you know, when he was sort of like in itinerant, ooh, we don't know about this sort of thing. Now it was working. The vision was happening. The dream was coming to pass. And Jesus was surrounded by thousands of people who were listening to his stories, who were listening to him. They must have been so proud. They must have felt so such a sense of belonging to that story. And then, Jesus sort of went and ruined everything. Do you ever feel that sometimes Jesus just sort of ruins everything? Everything's going great. Everything's going brilliant. And then the car breaks down. And I'm not blaming Jesus for my car breaking down. But you know what I mean? You just think it's going so well. You thought, why does this have to happen? Or if you're a man, why does this have to happen? So, <laughs> got carried away. But why does, this, why, why, why does this thing? So what we see here in Mark chapter 4 verse 35. <clears throat> this is the same day that day when evening came he said to his disciples let us go over to the other side you know that bit for oh no you won't actually uh Barbara you'll remember this remember on records (laughs) remember those record things uh, I don't remember the seventy. I do actually. I did have some seventy eights, but uh, I had a lot of forty fives with sort of like shawadi Waddy and stuff like that on. But I had I had some seventy eights as well. But what happened was you had to keep your. Record, you couldn't jog with your record player, could you? You, you couldn't do anything with your record it had to stay there very very stable and you had these little arms that come over and just place the thing and it, there was all this it, sort of thing as it, as it skittered off the, the record it was a crack or something this was one of those moments Jesus said let's go over to the other side it was just oh no leaving the crowd behind they took him along just as he was in the boat there were other boats with them now a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion the disciples woke him and said to him teacher don't you care if we drown he got up rebuked the wind and said to the waters quiet now that's a natural translation oh, sorry baby sorry sorry that's an actual translation the translation there didn't mean, excuse me <laughs> could you be, keep it down a little bit which is what you're saying to me sorry the word that's used there is jesus shouted he shouted in anger he shouted in annoyance at the storm quiet be still then the wind died down and it was completely calm i've my throat now he said to his disciples why are you so afraid do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So, why is this phrase, let's go over to the other side, so important? And in order to do that, you need to know a little bit about what's going on in the area. So can we have our map up, please? So, What we need to know is that when Jesus said, let's go over to the other side, he was talking about, let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is up here. And he go from the top of the Sea of Galilee and he went down to this place called Gadarea down here. That's about 10 miles, uh, 10 kilometers south of the sea. So there was probably a small encampment just on the edge. The Sea of Galilee, Galilee is about 15 miles long, and about eight miles wide. It's well known for its storms. But the interesting thing is, not its geopolitical not its geography, but its geopolitical thing, because there was something around at the time called the Decapolis, and the Decapolis was a Greek term uh, meaning 10 towns. Here they are here: One, two, three, four, five, six. Where were, no, the black ones. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The Decapolis was what was left over after Alexander the Great. Was around When Alexander the Great uh, was around, he had ten generals. People that you might have heard of, one of them was Ptolemy, with a P. I don't know why that. Um, And he was the one that was over Judea. But he left ten generals. And the reason he had ten generals looking after ten kingdoms, ten pieces of land, is that it kept them busy, so they'd have to look after and fight each other rather than fight him. And so you ended up with this Decapolis, after Alexander the Great had died, you ended up with these ten areas. And they were largely affected by the Greek culture, which is something called the Hellenistic culture. And the Hellenistic culture and the uh, Jewish culture were pretty much in opposition, because the Jewish culture was based on the Torah, on the Tanakh, on the Old Testament... Where the Hellenistic culture was uh, what actually we see a lot more nowadays. It was a lot freer and easier, uh, quite all democracy, uh, all reasoning, Socrates, Plato, all that sort of stuff gone into there. And it also had extremes. So as well as having all the good bits of civilization, it all had all the bad bits, all the extremes, all the sexual immorality, all the uh, lying and cheating, all the wars, all the, and all that sort of stuff. And Alexander the Great's vision was that the whole world would be united under this Hellenistic sort of view. And the question was, how did Israel, how did the Jewish people respond to this threat of all the cities that were around them? And there were two ways that the Jewish people responded. Number one, the Pharisees thought we need to stick in the past. We need to go back to our roots. We need to make more laws so everybody knows what it is to be Jewish. And the Pharisees, who are very Pharisaical, used to like keeping laws, used to like being exact and precise and stuff like this. This was Jewish. This was not Jewish. This was allowed by God. God didn't like this. That's what the Pharisees did. They stayed stuck in the past, and they refused to change, and they hid themselves away against this advancing form of Greek Hellenism that was going on. But then you had the Sadducees, And the Sadducees had a different view and they thought, well, what we need to do in order to survive, we need to compromise. So we'll try and fit in and we'll adapt and we'll adopt a lot of what's going on into our traditions. And so you had two ways of doing things. You had the the Pharisaical way, which was hide yourself away, or you had the Sadducees way, which was compromise. What we're talking about here is Jesus's way. Jesus' way was a little different. Jesus sailed across the lake from one kingdom to another to confront evil and bring his love and healing to a Hellenistic world. He wasn't going to hide away in the past. He wasn't going to write more rules for people. Go ahead, the next slide on Finn. He wasn't going to make it more difficult, but neither was he going to compromise neither was he going to say that's okay you can get away with that he took his love across from one kingdom to another to show his love and what Jesus was doing in this story was showing us a picture of what he did in the spiritual realm when he came from heaven to earth to show the way as the song goes he was doing it physically by crossing the lake no wonder there was a storm No wonder all the forces of hell were ready to line up against Jesus, completing the crossing across the Sea of Galilee. Because he went from one kingdom to another. No wonder there was all this trouble. And what did Jesus do? He shouted very loud in a way that doesn't wake babies up. He shouted, stop. Because there is nothing that could stand in the way of Jesus. Jesus. There is no storm, there is no wind, there is no lake, there is no kingdom, there is no barrier, there is no Hellenic culture that can stand in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's powerful and it's loving and it wins by grace and it wins by truth. And Jesus carried this with him on the boat to the shores of, and then he met someone Jesus had an encounter they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes when Jesus got out of the boat a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain For he had been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, amongst the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us amongst the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd about 2,000 in number, ran down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then from one side of the sea of galilee where he was accepted where he was loved it was all going well he crossed he came across adversity he came across storms he came across difficulties he came across powers of sin and death and hell to meet one person to have an encounter with one person in sunny hill we have this saying for the one There's nowhere in scripture, nowhere in the Bible that says better than than anywhere else that Jesus came for the one. This Gentile, who didn't know that he needed Jesus, who was cutting himself, who was lost and lonely and afraid, ostracised by society, left out, put away um, uh, by everybody that he knew. And yet Jesus knew him from the other side of the lake and came across to meet with him and set him free that's powerful stuff and then Jesus got in the boat and went back to Israel incidentally there's a, I was thinking last night you know this bit about all the pigs running down over the cliff and into the sea has yes, that made me think because there's another cliff somewhere else? Do you know, I think it's in, might not be, Luke chapter 3, Jesus has offended people and they're saying, oh, we, you know, you cannot teach this. And the whole community gathered together to throw Jesus off a cliff and yet he just walked away. And yet here is Jesus confronting the devil. 2,000 of them and he just commands them and they jump off the cliff. He is the God that is in control. So what do we have here? Two years later, after this event, Jesus then decides to come again to that area. And what does he find? We come back to Mark chapter 8. During those days, another large crowd gathered Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on these people. And they've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way. Because some of them have come a long distance. These people were the same ones that asked Jesus to leave them. They were the people who lived in the Decapolis. They were the Gentiles who didn't want anything to do with Jesus two years ago. But since that point, one man had stayed strong. One man had decided to make the difference. One man had said, I was ill. I was damaged. I was broken. And Jesus came and he touched me and he healed me. Come and listen to him. This was the man who was the evangelist of the Gadarenes. He was the one that Jesus came for. But he's also the one that points to the one that is Jesus. Jesus changed his life. And as a result, he went round and he told everybody else what Jesus had done. And so we end up in this amazing miracle. This miracle for the Gentiles, the feeding of the 4,000. These people had come so far to hear Jesus... They had given up on their lives. They have been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse because they've come such a long way. When you set off and when you believe and you want to meet Jesus so much that you're prepared to go out beyond the limits of the bridge, beyond that point where it's safe, where you're about to run out of fuel, you're either going to meet Jesus or you're going to run out of fuel. There's no going back now. That's the position these people are in. Because their lives have been changed by someone that Jesus had an encounter with. And he still does it today. When I was eight years old, I was unwell. Uh, I was sitting down on the sofa, and when I stood up, there was blood all over the sofa. I was rushed into hospital uh, and after many, many, many tests, turned out I had something called uh, Crohn's disease, uh, coupled with something called ulcerative colitis. What that is, is all through my intestines, I had loads of ulcers that were growing and forming and bleeding. And every time I did any exercise, the bleeding got worse. And I was taking all sorts of medication and going into Birmingham Children's Hospital uh, quite a lot. Uh, And they gave me some medication, uh, which was sort of kept things at bay for a while. But all through school, I couldn't do any sport. I could not run. I couldn't do anything more than walk. Because I had this thing that if I did that, I would start bleeding and then I'd have to go into hospital again. I couldn't even play cricket, which to be up to me was no great loss for me, but uh, I couldn't play football, couldn't do rugby, I couldn't do cricket. I couldn't even climb the stairs briskly. I had to climb stairs slowly because if I did too much stretching or exercise, this bleeding would start in my stomach and I'd have to go to hospital again. It was painful, it was nasty, and you can imagine as a teenager, it was incredibly, incredibly embarrassing By the time I was 18, I became a Christian. And God freed me from my sin. God forgave me and God became my best friend. And from that moment, nothing changed. You know, I would love to be able to say that from that moment, from the moment I became a Christian, Jesus healed me, but he didn't. In fact, things got Quite worse: By the time I was uh, about 19 or 20, people had been praying for me, people had been praying for me, but the prognosis was that I'd probably be dead by the time I was 24, 25, because my intestines would have just collapsed, they wouldn't be able to do. It. I'd have to have those have bits chopped out every now and then. I'd have nothing left uh, and medical science wasn't where it is now. So I was probably going to be dead by the time I was 24. By the, when I was 21, I was spent my 21st birthday with the youth group in a wheelchair which was stupidly at the top of a flight of stairs in a Chinese restaurant, as they had to carry my chair up the stairs. Because I wanted God to heal me, but he never did. But when I was 22, there was a chap called, you might have heard of him, Bonke, Bonnke, who's a German evangelist, and he was one of these people who go around praying for people. And it was in Wolverhampton, and I went and I was one of like a crowd and when, when you've got a chronic illness like this everybody's prayed, people have prayed for you for so long you know so many times you just can't be bothered anymore to be honest, you know, can we pray for you? Yes, we pray, you know, just fine, okay but just at that moment as Ryan Hart was preaching I thought tonight's the night and God put faith in me that he was going to heal me and Reinhardt called, called everybody down, and we all had to queue up in this big queue. And there was a massive, great big queue. And then there were so many there that Reinhardt had too many to deal with, so his assistant came on stage. And his assistant had half the queue, and Reinhardt had the rest of the queue. And they put me with the assistant, and I was really furious, to be honest. <laughs> I, didn't want, I didn't want the assistant to pray for me, I didn't want second hands. You know, I wanted Ryan up bunker to pray for me. But they put me there, so there. And this guy prayed for me. And it was not amazing. It was not lay hands and Steve collapses on the floor and wakes up three hours later, anything like that. But this guy laid his hands on my head and said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. With the power of Jesus, be healed. And at that moment, I knew I'd been healed. I still had some stomach pain. I was still taking tablets because that's the wise thing to do but within two weeks I was off all medication because God had healed me God had had an encounter with me and changed my life in the same way that he'd done with this guy in uh, the Gadarenes what I thought was impossible that I didn't have enough faith for I didn't trust God enough for. God just decided that moment he was going to do it. And God changed my life at that moment. And just like this guy here, that's why I serve Jesus. That's why I want to help people. Because God's changed my life. And I want to be able to say, he can change yours too. Not just because of what it says in the Bible, and I'm not dissing the Bible, but because of what it did to me. Because of God's encounter with me. And so what I want to say to you today, read the Bible, get faith from the, God, from the Bible, but don't forget to have an encounter with Jesus because God wants to cross from one kingdom to another. God wants to cross from where he is to where you are and all it takes is you to say yes I want you I need your healing I'm nothing without Jesus I'd be dead 30 years now if it hadn't been for Jesus there was a point in my life where I know he made a difference and there could be a point in your life where you can say the same thing whether it's a time when you first ask him to come into your life and then he starts sorting you out Or it could be a time when you're ill, and he'll just do something. I urge you today. I urge you today. If you've never had that encounter yet, make today the day. Whether today's the day that you ask him to be your friend for the first time, or today's the day that you say, Lord, I cannot carry this anymore. Please. Because God is a God of grace. And what you have in little, He will give greatly. He will pour His love upon you. Because He is a God who loves. Shall we pray? And Lord, I just pray. In the name of Jesus. And in the love of Jesus. That you'll come to us now. If you're looking for that encounter with Jesus. Then just just take this moment. And just say Jesus. Come to me. And Lord I pray for my. Friends here today I pray you bless them I pray that you meet with each one not just today but every day that we'll all learn we'll grow Amen One final thought and this really sort of brings it full circle One of the other reasons that this is the best miracle is because Jesus was handing out bread rolls to Gentiles. There were pigs just around the corner. This truly could have been the time when Jesus said, let's have a bacon sandwich. (laughs) I'm stretching it a little bit, (laughs) but it fits in with the theme of today. Guys, I hope you've had a... a good time today. I hope you've had a time when God has spoken to you and I pray that you'll carry on doing that.